Welcome to the Habibis podcast, five game developers drinking good Arab tea. My name is Sarah, your host for this episode. Hi, my name is Malik, and I'm really excited to be here. Uh, my name is Rami Ismail. My name is Naha Al-Qadi. And my name is Sam. Hi, everybody. It's going to be an interesting episode. We have a completely different cast for the Habibis today. Uh, and the reason for that is that our, this little group of people here did a panel at Games for Change uh, a week ago, two weeks ago? Well, ago. Time has uh, blurred to me, honestly. It was a week ago, no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Eid, yeah, the Eid is just a haze. <laughs> oh, I, it really was. Um, we didn't quite have enough time to talk about everything we wanted to talk about. Uh, Sarah back then was our host and uh, gracefully put that entire panel together. We thought we would just continue it here on the Habibis. Normally on the Habibis, we start with talking about what we've been doing in terms of video games and media. Does anybody want to want to talk about what they've been playing this last week? I can start. Uh, so I managed to finish with my friend It Takes Two, which oh. uh, suddenly oh, so became cool. became uh, kind of my, my favorite game now. Uh, it's, it's easily become my favorite co-op game of all time, replacing the previous champion Portal 2. Uh, and it was just such a pleasure over that Eid period to kind of delve into it. And beyond that, I played a bit of uh, Pokemon Unite, the new Pokemon Dota, and some Zelda Skyward Sword. Did you just for just just so I can make a point against Fauzi? Do you like Skyward Sword? So I'm liking it now because I played it ten years ago, and it was atrocious to me because the Wii motion <laughs> controllers didn't work well, and I gave up after the first dungeon. I'm a massive Zelda fan, and it's the only Zelda game that I've never finished. So that's why I'm delving again into it. It's kind of odd because you need to throw all of the conventions that you know about video games out the window, especially with controlling the sword and the right analog stick. But uh, I am warming up to it much better than I did 10 years ago. Sarah, are you playing anything? Well, I keep playing the same game on repeat for like <laughs> the last five months. <laughs> it's, um, it's a game called Calico. Um, oh, yeah. and basically right. you're yeah you're a magical girl and you have like this cat cafe and it's awesome and there's actually like a hijabi character in this game and uh, I, I love it it's so like peaceful and you can just do whatever you want and pet animals in game <laughs> so cool okay I'm gonna uh, go on the switch store and buy it right now <laughs> when you just said that I was like okay I'm buying it yes <laughs> Is it, it, I mean, I guess that replaces whatever you were playing, Noah. What, are you playing anything? Uh, not so much right now. I've been playing just a lot of Apex Legends. Um, I'm excited for the the new hero, uh, the new Legend Seer that's going to be coming out for the next season. Uh, I've been just playing so with cool. friends every night <laughs> like crazy. Uh, <laughs> it's been good. Son, how about you? I am super boring. I haven't been able to play a lot lately, though I did start the new Dragon Quest because I wanted to feel nostalgia without playing an older <laughs> game. So I was like, I want to be a boy who leaves town for the first time and fights God. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's Actually, it was funny when my mom was going to play her first game. We were trying to figure out which game it should be. And she just said, I really like Lord of the Rings. I'm like, what part about Lord of the Rings? She's like, well, you know, it's just... A bunch of kids who get told that they have, like, a weapon of mass destruction and have to go fight God. And I'm like... <laughs> that's uh, that's such a unique way to describe uh, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I'm like, okay, fair. I mean, I'm, I'm very close to Sun. I actually haven't 
played anything this week. It's been a few weeks of me not really playing any video games, but just not much has been happening. I play Flight Simulator, and then I play some old game that I haven't played for a while. That's kind of it. What old game? I mean, this week I played Split Second, which was an old racing game. Oh, about I loved Split Second. Explosions? I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a like former Vlambeer member, right? Like, if you take any popular genre and add explosions to it, you kind of make a Vlambeer game. The, For me, that was kind of interesting. Split Second, I remember it was all about um, kind of being a stunt driver uh, in in, a, in an action set piece in movies. Right, and, and and you get to do these amazing things. It, it it released around the time where it feel it felt like every publisher wanted to work on a car game. Right, it there was Split Second, there was Blur from Activision, there was Motor Motorstorm from PlayStation and Forza from uh, Xbox. It was such a cool time period, and Blur and Split Second are two of my favorite kind of car racing games that just faded into obscurity, unfortunately. Right. Yeah, they launched at the same time, so nobody cared about it either. It yeah. was rough. No. <laughs> I always it was hate rough. that. <laughs> yeah, it was so rough because nobody was making like car action games, and then suddenly these two really good ones came out at the same time. I think they just kind of split the market, and both of them failed. Dang. Uh, Disney bought up the one studio, and I think the other studio just went under. Disney had released, I think, Split Second themselves, and it was one of the last games they had released as a publisher. Before right. flipping into Disney, Infi- uh, Disney Infinity, and uh, and Blur was uh, shut down. It was an act, it was uh, Bizarre Creations, which was owned by Activision. They were shortly right. shut down after the release of the game, unfortunately. Yep. And then the game was delisted due to music licensing issues. Ah, yes, the the, the everybody's Alan favorite Wake. thing. Yeah, the Alan Wake way of losing the game. Yeah, the Alan Wake is back though. They I fixed know. it. I really like that game, so I'm happy. Very happy. <laughs> I really loved Alan Wake. It, it was um, it was kind of mind blowing back in the days, like a thriller game. Remedy uh, tend to do really well when it comes to like a unique take on uh, on horror slash thriller. It's really cool to see that they continue to push in these uh, fields uh, even now with Control. But good. I think that that summarizes what everybody has been up to. Sarah, you want to kick it back up for the panel? Oh, yeah, sure. Let's do it. <laughs> well, I think like it would be quite interesting to go over some of the questions that maybe we didn't have time to answer fully last time. And now we can, thanks to the heavy bees. Um, <laughs> I was, yeah, I think it would be great. Uh, maybe, Malek, if you could just tell us um, if you noticed, like, a change in the industry since you joined, especially, uh, like, in the Middle East, North Africa. I know you work a lot in the region. Yeah, of course. Um, there's been a lot of growth over the last decade, uh, namely in, in the presence within the region, where 10 years ago, uh, there was only PlayStation that was available via distribution, now we're looking at Ubisoft, Riot Games, Tencent, PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo, all having some kind of local office or other publishers like EA or previously Blizzard uh, having some kind of uh, CD Projekt Red, having some kind of presence either via an agency or via someone that's located here or a team dedicated uh, to the region within the headquarter office. And we've seen a, a boom in the number of localized games in Arabic, be it with subtitles, dubbing, or uh, menu, uh, menu Arabic support. 
And from that, like I remember when I joined Ubisoft in 2014, uh, there were maybe around three, four games that had some uh, level of support within Arabic. One from Ubisoft, uh, which was Assassin's Creed Black Flag, and then like Tomb Raider and FIFA. And now we're looking at nearing three digits uh, from across all publishers. I, I can almost say, almost confidently say that at least every publisher has had at least one game release with some kind of Arabic support, which is really cool. And that in itself has seen the gaming industry explode in some sense uh, in the region. And then you have the aspects of esports, which are slowly now kind of unfolding across many different uh, games and genres. And the last but not least is the boom in mobile gaming and free-to-play gaming, which has opened up brand new markets, which wasn't, which weren't really considered before, especially the lower barrier entry market in, in let's say, Iraq or Egypt or in the North African kind of population as a whole. So we're seeing this constantly evolving sphere here in the Mina Swana region which is very interesting because it just shakes things up every year and it, it keeps you on your toes to want to be ahead of the competition, but also help out the competition understand the region even more. That's that's so cool because I, I remember also talking about it with uh, Rami, I think, mm -hmm. and you were saying that on your side in Europe, you, you could also feel like a change, like since you started working. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, it's always a bit of a weird perspective, right? Because I'm, I'm a Western-based developer, but most of my work is traveling around the world, right? So yes. I've, I've visited across MENA, I've, I've visited across the, the Middle East. And the, it's not just the, the change in publisher presence. I think it's also largely the, the change in just developer presence, right? Uh, there are way more developers, way more kids, way more teenagers, way more young adults that dare to dream of being a game developer because they've seen that games can be made for them, right? Or with consideration with, for them, instead of just being about shooting people like them, right? Yeah. Um, I think that really makes a huge difference. And I think like people, you know, like, like the four of you being in games as well, like it, it just helps for people to see like, oh, I can do this, right? So those communities have been growing and it's been just really wonderful to see like game developers associations spring up, small communities uh, spring up. Uh, communities suddenly start reaching out because they've read that, reached that critical mass where they can start inviting foreign speakers. Uh, so, so sort of on all fronts that, that um, change has been happening. I, I mean, I think from the perspective of just being in the West, do we think that there's really a, a noticeable change? If you're not an Arab, do you think you would notice the difference? That's very interesting. I've... Uh... I recently had the conversation with a friend of mine who lives in uh, Seattle um, about about trying to understand if you would be able to see more Arab or Muslim presence within game development as a whole. Uh, I personally have seen kind of it become more prominent over the last year, mostly I think because of lockdown. And it's something we kind of discussed during the panel where I think because we all kind of became locked up in our homes and couldn't see each other during events. We became more vocal uh, online. Um, but in terms of uh, game development uh, per se, I've, I've not really seen it. And, 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 and I, I actually am working with some teams locally to help kind of get them more exposure uh, because I do think that a lot of indie teams are still struggling on a local level. And in terms of in-game presence, 
I've seen some improvement in terms of some, not remarkable, but some improvement in terms of portrayal of Arab characters, at least in more recent games. Yeah, I just want to add that I know that we're going to notice the most because it affects us the most. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything that Malik said is 100%. Like, I noticed it too because I now look whenever I see a brown character, like, mm-hmm. what are you? Like, <laughs> the whole game, <laughs> are, you, are you okay? <laughs> As I look at them. Um, so I know that we're going to be more perceptive in it. And I actually think that there is change, but it's more so represented in a movement of bringing minorities to the forefront. Um, so mm-hmm. it's less so that maybe we're noticing more specific Arab characters being integ- integrated, like that the majority viewers are noticing, but more so that there's been this push to ensure that minorities are being represented in the games that they're developing <laughs> too. Right. Like you said, mm-hmm. there's tons of Arabs, uh, Middle Eastern, North African, Swana in development in AAA spaces, AA spaces, and indie spaces. And now they're starting to put kind of the work towards having that representation in game. Um, so much like Reagan's trickle-down economics, <laughs> maybe it's time to work. <laughs> so, um, oh, <yeah>. my God. <laughs> I don't know. I always, I, it was always one of the things that I found really sad traveling around the world because I would be meeting teams in all sorts of wonderful countries. I'd be in, like, Indonesia, and people were making this amazing game about, like, running a coffee store and like talking to people and i'm like where does it take place and they're like seattle I'm like why they're like it's easier i'm like okay that's fair very big um, i feel it like because it's right just, it's it's a recognizable place for people and that's usually why people tend to go for it but at the same time it's like why build and recreate a setting that everyone keeps doing when you could potentially look elsewhere and find something more interesting. Like there's so many cities. I can think of so many cities that you can <laughs> place your game in and it, you don't have to, you know, make it like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. You could try and do like a game in Dubai or something. You don't have to make it f- fully about Dubai. You can just be like, Oh, it just happens to be set in Dubai. You know, it, it's just, kind of upsetting whenever you hear like oh it's gonna take place in new york it's gonna take place in seattle you know i i think sun sun and i talked a little bit about that on the panel at at uh, g4c that the the risk that these developers are already taking making games right in place where the economy is not as strong in places where the, the political opportunities might not be as easy and like that far away from the games industry's sort of like hot spots it's very understandable that they would go with, okay, let's make the safe games first, right? Let's make the yeah. games that we know will sell first. And then later on, when we are more established, maybe we'll try to do something a bit more risky or something a bit more culturally owned, right? Um, it's, it's a shame, though. It's it's a shame because you feel like we've we've never really had a test bed or a litmus test of sorts if, if, if other like non-explored locations would work in games. I mean, now when Noah said Dubai, I, I remembered Spec Ops The Line, which is right. which is a phenomenal <laughs> game, but it portrayed Dubai in a completely different fashion from what Dubai is today. You mean and there's it, no sandstorms all the time? Uh, no, we, and, uh, we don't have uh, destroyed uh, buildings everywhere here in Dubai. Wow. Um, <laughs> all I'm saying is I would like GTA to take place <laughs> in Dubai. I I really want GTA Cairo. 
I've thought about it. I just went GTA Cairo. You get, you steal a car, you start driving, and like you're in traffic for like the next forty five <laughs> minutes. That's just the game. It's, you're not even the worst driver on the road, even if you're playing. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 always a saying in in Arab countries. Like if you can drive in, we say it in Lebanon. Like if you can drive in Lebanon, you can drive everywhere else. And then I have Egyptian friends that also say the same about Egypt. Moroccan <laughs> friends that say the same about Morocco. So I feel it's like a pan-Arab kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah, no a GTA. What would GTA Dubai look like? I I feel it be it would be kind of like Fast and Furious, the one that was set in Abu Dhabi, like camels <laughs> and and like skyscrapers and jumping from one skyscraper to the other with a with a fast Lamborghini. Woo! And then of course the lele 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 sound. Oh, yeah, <laughs> now what if it now what if it was properly made? How <laughs> do you like it, the GTA? <laughs> That's it. Do a lot of like open world fun stuff with like the skyscrapers for sure. Yeah. Like there's so many high rise buildings. Like you think about like Spider Man takes place in New York because he's like webbing mm. around in Spider. That's the reason why like Spider Man works so well in New York is because of the high rise buildings he can web across. And then you think of yeah. something like Dubai can do almost the same thing with all those super like the tallest building in the world. Like they have so many of the tallest buildings. You can have so much fun with like air mechanics and jumping and all that stuff. What do we just? What if it was like a rag ankabut? Are we just going with like Spider Man that way? We're we just going to translate it and put him there. I think that would be great. <laughs> I think actually PlayStation had uh, localized the the name uh, into Arabic as Rajal Ankabut. So yes. <laughs> and I, and I don't know if the audiences know, but they actually dubbed the game in Egyptian. It was hilarious. Like it, it fit, it, it fit the, the the style of Spider-Man really well. It was it was hilarious to hear Doc Ock speak in Air, like in Egyptian Arabic, and then Spider-Man with his quippy or Rajalan Kabut with his quippy quippy comebacks. But but we're getting there. Yeah, I I just really like. I think Noah is right. Like uh, Spider-Man in Dubai would work really well. Yeah, I would yeah. buy that for sure. To be inst- instantly. Let's make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> Disney, give us the money. <laughs> you don't need it. <laughs> I think I think it would be really cool, and I'm and I'm hoping to see a, a boom in terms of exploring, um, for the lack of a better term, like just to make it more simple to Western people, like exotic locations with air quotations. But to, to us, these are our homes. These are our backyards, and and I'm. It's it's a shame that we don't see them well represented, or if we if they are represented, they're represented with that sepia filter, the the destruction, the worn down buildings. I just want to like like I, I'm really into the GTA Dubai aspect now. I can already see them selling a Habibi edition. It's like hot <laughs> I don't. I the other thing the the other part of this question then becomes okay, but what are our heroes, right? Because we can take Spider Man and put them in the middle east but like i kind of wish we saw more just the, the thing that's happening now that always happens or frequently happens when it specifically when the u.s is leading sort of the diversity debate right is that we yeah. get a lot of like half american half something right yeah and that's cool i like that i'm i'm there's a lot of people that live that exact life right but it always makes me kind of go like okay but where's just like the straight up 
you know, straight up fully Egyptian hero or even like French or, you know, Russian or uh, Lebanese or whatever. Like, I, it, that's always the, the part that makes me a little, yeah, we can we can do we can do more interesting than half half necessarily, even though I think most of us here are half in some way. Let's see how many some of us are. I'm uh, well, fully Arab. <laughs> you're fully. Yeah. I'm fully Arab, but I was raised in Canada. I was born right. and raised here. So, like, I have this weird, like, you know, I'm too Canadian to be Arab and I'm too Arab to be Canadian sort of no, where I'm going. But I am technically both in that case. Right. But my parents are fully both Syrian. Yeah, I'm it's the same true. as Naham. Yeah. My, my parents are both Algerian and uh, I was uh, raised in the U.S. So, right. howdy. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm 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 half Dutch, half Arab, but I don't know how to make the same howdy quip because it would be something like "Huda uh, alaikum" or something. Not, not quite sure that works. It's a strange. It's a strange. The the sort of like being raised outside of a culture that's very dear to you is a very strange reality. I feel. Yeah, definitely. I'm the same as uh, Nua and Son. Both of my parents are American, but I was raised in. In France, and uh, sometimes uh, you can how can I say that? You feel a bit like oh, um, I, I'm not. I, it's weird. I'm not French enough, but I'm not Moroccan enough as well. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, right. I think you. We can all yeah. have this like this type of feeling sometimes where you go to Morocco and you're French, but you're in France and you're not French. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I feel that. It's really interesting to hear you folks say that because I think uh, I'm the only Arab that grew up in an Arab nation mm-hmm. uh, in the in this call. And and I from my end, I saw Arab society trying to become westernized. Uh, it was so odd because it, it also created within us this identity culture of we grew up to to American shows. We grew up to like Disney Channel and the Disney Channel from the animation to the real life, like That's So Raven, Boy Meets World, things like that. And we wanted so desperately to be like the West that we're seeing in, in the movies and the TV uh, to a point where it, it's also created this kind of crisis within us where you have this hodgepodge of languages and and beliefs and and different cultural structures it's it's very pretty cool to see how you folks have dealt with it in the west and how it's panned out here in this region for us right i think that but that that is i think why it's so important that we get this right as an industry yeah of course yeah this this is the reason why it matters and it's the it's the thing where I get messages like every week from some Arab kid somewhere who's like, I never knew I could make video games until I saw, you know, you making games. And now I want to make games like Nuclear Throne or like Ridiculous Fishing. And I kind of go like, please make anything else but those games. Like, <laughs> they already exist. Um, I, mean, I, I grew up to comic books and I remember connecting so much to, to Miles Morales. Like, even though I'm I'm not black, I'm not of Hispanic, Hispanic origin, it was just so nice to see that flip from Peter Parker that we were used to for the past 50, 60 years and to see this change within such an iconic character. And then you have um, one of the Green Lanterns was actually also half Lebanese, half American. And of course, it goes without saying, Miss Marvel. Like, I, I love Miss Marvel. And Noha, you, you yourself said like you connected with her even though like she's a different nationality. 
Yeah, she's Pakistani Muslim. But there were still some similarities, I think more on this, uh, the Islamic side. But there was like little quips here and there that I could resonate with. And I, I felt like, oh, my God, like I actually felt like probably for the first time where I was like, this is actually me, even though she's te technically not really me. But I kind of felt that I was like, is this what a white guy feels like when he plays games? <laughs> is this how they feel all the time? Because I would love to feel like this all the time, <laughs> you know. Um, and I love that you brought up Miles um, Malik because what I loved about that game and also just like even also Miss Marvel is that they they embrace their cultures like they mm -hmm. actually show in those games that they love their culture and they're embracing it and it's not like something they're mm -hmm. ashamed of because I always find sometimes when people try to like put our stories in games they try to focus on the conflict and the the bad stuff and like you know like the, the the problems we're facing the issues we're facing rather than like and like showing all the goods the good things about it you know um so i oh. thought it was like really nice that i'm starting to see like people just liking who are they come from and showing it off and embracing embracing that side i definitely re resonate with me like i i don't know about you guys but I'm, I'm very tired of some tropes that we see not even in games, I mean, in medias in general. For example, I I'm I can't count how many Netflix shows I've seen where, you know, the the religious Muslim girl has to take off her hijab because she's in yeah. love with someone oh, or to show yeah. that she had now she's free. And I'm like, can you can you just let let let's show like people who are also happy, they exist, you know? <laughs> There's a lot of hijabi out there and they're living their best life. So why is it always the same tropes in media? What's happening? <laughs> yeah, like they always try to show our culture as like, it's weird and bad, like the things that we go through. But really like, it's just, I don't know, it's just some sort of way to make it interesting or share information, but it's not. It's just kind of upsetting when we see that sort of stuff. I uh, I've noticed that, I mean, outside of shows maybe written by people from our cultural background that whenever there is like a Muslim character and they have the Muslim family, which is my f least favorite thing sometimes, uh, it's mm. meant to show like the juxtaposition of strictness in the right. society that they're in. The Muslim family, and I'm not saying this isn't true. My parents were very strict on me. <laughs> um, but they're, but the reason that they're included is not because like, hey, this is culturally like maybe they have these levels of like attitude towards their son as opposed to their daughters, like things like that. It's more so to show, hey, look at this white family and how good this white character might have it. And look how weird <laughs> this Arab family is and what they focus on, um, yeah. which I think goes hand in hand with, like you said, Sarah, with the hijabi character always freeing herself from the restrictions of her society in some way. Uh, maybe she will take off her hijab and like party. Um, And I think that uh, it's it's boring. Uh, I've seen it a million times. And much like not Rami not wanting his old games to be made, we don't have to keep remaking the same thing. We could do new stuff. I mean, it's it's funny because people often ask me, like, okay, Rami, if you've been in the games industry so long, is your religion in your games? Like your your heritage, your religion? I'm like, I made games about shooting fish with machine guns. Like, listen, I don't I don't really have much. But I will say that, Looking back at them, there are some weird markers of me being involved in those projects. Like, we have this post-apocalyptic like world. All Flamber games are like this post-apocalyptic world. And if you would think of like a traditional post-apocalyptic setting, sort of based on like Western like sci-fi stories, there would always be alcohol. There would always be smoking. There would. Always... 
And I just always said no to those. So we have this alcohol-free post-apocalypse, which doesn't happen in media for some reason. Uh, and it was just a really weird moment to realize, like, oh, okay, I guess it did sneak in. How about that? Uh, but yeah, I never had the happens. never had the confidence to actually do it, son. I, and I, I think we talked about that about that that um, make, making stuff as a white person for a while out of safety. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's true. A, there is a bit of I think pressure when it comes to it. Like I would love the opportunity to create, you know, like an Arab character that I resonate with. But there's also this immense amount of responsibility and pressure now on you because this is your chance to get it right, you know? And, you know, I think so long as you have, you know, people that are willing to support you and and create that character that you want and not make you feel like you have to, uh, well, we, I think, Son, you mentioned, uh, or you called it like the beacon. Like you can just make a character, hopefully, because that's the character you want to make and try and not focus so much on trying to create this beacon that is like, this is the best representation of a character. Um, you know, it's like having that responsibility is a bit scary, you know, but I would love to just be able to make Arab characters freely without feeling like I have to represent, you know, however many Arabs there are in the world, which is a lot of Arabs. The world. <laughs> well, just to add, like, what I really think is the solution, like the easiest, like, it's us a, a band-aid, you know, um, is just having more than one Arab character, I feel yep. like solves mm -hmm. that problem really quickly. Because if you have like, three or four, and they all have their own different flaws and their own different like pros, suddenly, none of them are acting as like this, I am the token arrow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, right. yeah fully for sure. I, I suddenly wonder if, if, if we could get, like, how much money would we need to just start production on, like, six Arab games by Arab developers with Arab characters, like, simultaneously, and then just have them launch in the same month or something? It's like, <laughs> here you go. None of you have to do the perfect representation because there's six. Pick the one you like most. Would that work? That would be awesome. <laughs> would be cool. A lot to ask, but... Yeah. I mean, at the same time, like, uh, I guess it's time that we start asking things from the industry instead of like <laughs> fighting our way through it. Yeah. The, the, the other, the issue from my end and the, the, the thing that annoys me the most is that at least from the publisher, from the AAA publisher, and I always see uh, a, a marginalization of the culturally rich Arab history that you have within your, within your company. Like you're like a, a lot of, Publishers have so many diverse and culturally rich Arabs working with them and for them, and and they're just underutilized. They're they're just not consulted when it comes to these kinds of representation topics or to say like, hey, what can we do better for this game? What like we're planning to do this game set in this world? Can you help us do representation better? Can you make like help us attain a certain kind of representation? Uh, status quo that that as Sun said like isn't just token esque but pushes the boundaries further in allowing like the the five six of us to find themselves five the five of us to find themselves in different ways and uh, and it's it's always it's 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 a it's such a it's such a bummer like I'm getting emotional because it always feels like a struggle 
to kind of pitch ideas mm. and try to prove like, hey, this is not religious. This is cultural. Hey, this is not a tro- like a topic of, mm-hmm. of taboo or like uh, issue. This is something that's going to please people. Right. It's like the hijab, right? Like we've, we've talked about this now a few times, but like the hijab, as soon as you bring it up, it's like, oh, this is like a big religious topic. And it's like, uh, yes, no. The hijab, kinda, like, the hijab you know. and honestly, Rami, Ramadan. Ramadan, Ramadan Ramadan as a topic like it's so unexplored within games and and now we we have so many different life service games that constantly cater to so many different audiences except honestly like the Muslim one like the Muslim one I, there are other of course religions that are also marginalized but but it's it's become so touchy and so kind of finicky that they, they prefer to not separate the culture from the religion they blur both in one and they tell you oh we prefer to avoid that headache i mean i think it's because and this is awful that arabs in general so generalizing the entire middle east and north africa (laughs) and islam has is a political statement automatically now right right? And, and i think that like i mentioned earlier i don't think like Malik, you said, we're not the only minority to deal with that. Having a Black or African American character is a political statement uh, mm-hmm. in your game that some people take a great unnecessary offense to. Um, and so it does become like this very touchy, like, I'm going to have a brown character, but they're not going to be too brown, but they're going to be identifiably brown in some way yeah. um, so that the people will know, the ones who need to know will know, but I can skirt by the publisher. Right, uh, Rep- representation up. as a wink. Yeah. Oh right. man, that's uh, you need to coin that phrase, like patent it. Representation as a wink. I like it. I think <laughs> I read it somewhere. I, yeah, I don't know. I I feel like I I read it somewhere, so I can't claim that I coined no it. No worries, but I'm not quite it. sure if I read it somewhere. Again, it's 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 a topic that is very close and near to my heart in terms of like. Needing to prove things like I remember in a call that I had once, uh, a pushback came against the crescent moon because uh, there is yeah, a lot moon. of there's a lot of misunderstanding that the crescent moon is as religious as like the cross or the star of David, uh, to Christians and Jews respectively, and I'm like, but it isn't. It's 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 how the Arab Bedouins used to travel at night using the stars and the moon. And they used to sleep during the day because it was too hot in the desert. Like the, the lunar calendar isn't religious. It's how our ancestors used to travel. And this is why the, like, the Muslim festivities are based on the lunar calendar because that's how they used to know that it was this day, this month. And and I remember going like people going like oh we see I'm like but it's it's all on Wikipedia it's all everywhere we're here we're available here you can ask us you can you can like I'm more than happy to have someone ping me on Teams and be like hey what is what is Ramadan all about Yeah I don't know I I I always remember when people go like well but you know like what if 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 Friday is like a big day like isn't that a religious day I'm like what do you think Sunday is Think Sunday came out of nowhere. Sunday, Sunday was a it's like a Western thing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the that's the religious importance. Sunday, <laughs> but but that's the that's the thing. Like culture and religion, and like the 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 sort of like history of a place, and the climate, and the weather, and the availability of water, and the language, and everything turns into what is now. It's I just think that for Western audiences that has become so normalized that it's hard for a lot of people to to sort of 
remove themselves from that and realize that Saturday and Sunday being weekend is a result of how society was set up, was built around the sort of like church day, right? Like the day of mass in, in Europe. Uh, it's the same thing for Friday for Muslim people. Ramadan mm -hmm. is a time off. It's a time of celebration. The same reason that the last weeks of December are holidays and celebrations for, for people living in the West. That is, yes, it's tied to religion. Yes, it's mixed with religion. But culture always is mixed with all, all of the circumstances around it. You know? I feel it's just we're, we're the... In terms of religions, we're like the one where one of the big three, I would guess, where the, the sort of like connection is always made to feel like a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, but isn't that very religious? It's like, so what if it is? What if it is? Why, why is that? Why is that a problem? Why is there an issue here? And I've never figured out what the answer to that is. Even if we were to remove religion, just look at how rich Arab history is when it comes to scientific discoveries or, or theories. Like logarithm and algorithm are both words that originated in Arabic. The current numbering system in English, these are actual Arabic numbers. They're not English numbers. The Arabic numbers that we use are Indian are of Indian origin and the Arabic number, the English numbers are the Arabic ones. And it, like, it comes from the basis of like every corner signifies a digit. And, and, and when I, when I, when I say that to, to, to people from the West, they're so mind blown. Like at first they completely vehemently refused to believe that Arabs had anything to do with astronomy or algorithm, logarithm, algebra, algebra, like, when I tell them, like, yeah, algebra, like algebra is not a word that existed in English. It came from Arabic. Khawarizmi, uh, like algorithm. Algorithm. Uh, and and it's, it's insane. And I, I wish we had these opportunities to kind of teach people via games. Because I feel like a lot of, a lot of folks learn a lot about culture and history. I've had many fans of Assassin's Creed come to me, white people telling me as to how they started, like they majored in history because of how rich games were and uh, like Assassin's Creed showed uh, the history of the places that they explored. Yeah. That makes me think about something um, that we're talking, we were talking about it with uh, Nua, I think. Um, you know, the idea of sometimes people can also come to you and ask you a question. Uh, about a culture of thinking, oh, you're, you're from this region, but they come to me and they're like, oh, you that is from Morocco, you must know everything about uh, Iran, for example. I'm like, oh, I think you should go see someone who's specialized or someone from there. And I don't know if it happened to you before, but um, there's a lot of people who tend to mix up the whole region and just you have this idea of... Uh, weirdly unified, foreign, exotic, mysterious place. <laughs> um, uh, and people just come to you and, and ask you this question. And I, um, I think we're talking about it with Nua and she was uh, just, well, you were explaining that it's also not the best thing to do, right? Yeah, I, I find that, um, I don't think it's so much mixing up. It's just when people hear like, oh, like, okay, we need to learn more about Iraq. It's like, oh, that person is Arab. Let's ask them. But they're not Iraqi. They're probably from Lebanon or, or somewhere. And people tend to assume that the whole Arab region is the same. 
but every single Arab country and even Arab cities are so diverse that pe people don't actually know how diverse we are because we don't have the representation. We don't have a lot of um, different representation from all these different sort of cultures and countries yet. So definitely like when I hope more developers are looking into having more Arab characters, but, but when they start doing that to look for, um, you know, uh, you know, sensitivity readers and consultants from that region that you're looking at. And even better if you can find them from the particular city that you're looking at too, because they're so different. Um, and you can get so many more interesting, unique stories just from, you know, let's say if you want to make a, a character that's Syrian, uh, there's a lot of interesting stories you can do uh, from people who lived in Syria versus people who live in Egypt. Um, but yeah, like I, I actually, that's like stuff I really love about, you know, being Arab is how diverse we are and how, how many cultures that we have too. I love looking mm -hmm. up and learning more about the Egyptian cultures and the Moroccan cultures. Like I would love to go to Egypt and Morocco. Just from how oh, beautiful yeah, it is. Like, Inshallah, one day. Yeah, we should just do like, a trip across our countries. I would I, that's like what I'd love to do in the future. Like if you look at Moroccan shops, how beautiful they are, and Egyptian, the Egyptian streets, how beautiful they are. Like there's there's so much rich culture and people are not seeing that. <laughs> like I'd love to see that in, in games instead of just the typical like uh Osama coined it the Arabistan, you know? So I feel like people just tend to blur like blur all our cultures into one. And I, I really get upset about that. Yeah, I, I just kind of want to add something that really resonated with what Malik was discussing is how rich our different cultures can be. And so, for example, like I'm from Algeria and we're not even considered Arab technically. <laughs> uh, we're considered Arabized Berbers uh, or yeah. Amazigh. And mm -hmm. if you look into like the culture of Amazigh pre-Islamic, we had almost similar deities to Greeks. Um, so all of the mythology that we're so used to in hearing from Greek mythos, we have a lot of it in Amazi, even our own version of Medusa. And so there's so many cool things to dive into that aren't like the mainstream that do exist. And um, I mean, I'd also argue that colonialism has destroyed a lot of documentation and it's, a, you know, we're losing a lot of our culture. <laughs> My people have gone through it. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, it, it's hard to find, and uh, it, a lot of it's in, inaccessible unless you have like the means to do it. But you know who does have the means to do it? AAA. They have the means to get to that research. Right. Uh, and you can just find so many cool things. And similar to Nuha, I also would love <laughs> to travel. I, 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 we mentioned earlier cities that we'd love to have games in. And one of my dreams is to have a uh, game set in Constantine in Algeria, which is a city built in a mountain and held up by bridges. Uh, and it's wow. beautiful. Like you have to drive up through a bridge to get there. And so just like how we talked about Dubai and all like these high like rises and uh, tr amazing terrain, it, it has that. And I, there's so many places like that in middle, in the middle East and North Africa that are, again, I don't want to say, I don't want to use the word Westernized because I think the West implies a certain level of like advancement is what makes it Western. Um, but it isn't like you said, sandstorms or uh, deteriorating homes or right. crying children in the distance. Uh, it's, it's, they have so many more Teslas than I've seen in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was wondering a thing, like we've been talking about all these like big things and big representations and all of that. Well, like, do you have like 
do any of you have like this small mundane thing from your culture or your life that you just really wish you would see a character do in a video game or like have or, or like you know worked into a set piece or a level or environmental storytelling or just something small and strange and mundane um from my end it would be the depth kit <laughs> yes <laughs> just like a random yes. depth kit group <laughs> no you brought this up on twitter didn't you the other day i did <laughs> Game i developer like dreamt it i was just like wouldn't that be cool at like a gdc or something once we all come back like that would be amazing you know <laughs> Like, know how you spoke to my heart, honestly, back then, because it, it like, yeah, it, it's such a, it's such a different kind of tradition. It's so simple. It's quite humble, but it brings people together. Kind of wonder who would lead the dubka. Like, who, who would be, who would be at, all the way at the front? I oh, would I say Osama. Oh, I see you, Malik. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. No, I, I, I wanted to give out to like the OG Habibi. Uh, <laughs> Osama, Osama has said that he probably would not lead the dub game. Uh, so. Okay, it's on you, Malik. No pressure. <laughs> fine, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah. <laughs> as long as it's not me, I'm way, I'm way too tall to be in the front. Like, I'm just going to like throw things into disarray. It's not a good idea. <laughs> um, okay, so Dabke, Nuha, how about you? Uh, I... I thought of recently, um, I don't know, I don't know if you guys know this, there's a game that I used to play with my grandma um, called Bergis, which is, um, I don't know if Melik, if you know it. Yeah, uh, of course. <laughs> yeah, okay, so it's basically, it's uh, a, not really a board game because it doesn't play on a board, it plays on a black cloth. And uh, the pieces are like little gold pieces that you have. And the dice is actually uh, cowrie shells that you roll. And you play it on like ottomans or carpets or on the sofa because it's cloth. And also because you're uh, throwing dice, um, it, it, it's softer when it lands on the cloth. And I used to play this game all the time with my grandma in Syria. And she's insanely, insanely competitive about it. Like, she is, like, savage. And if she loses, it is, like, the end of time. <laughs> and watching my mom and my grandma play is, like, top-notch, like, Musasa TV, like, prime time. It is just hilarious how such a simple game with, like, they're throwing shells on the carpet, like, just drives them insane. But I'd love, like, just something like that uh, to just see in a game how, you know, it's like a little game within a game. It's, it's kind of right. cute. I, w I wonder if competitive grandmas is like a big thing because my grandma was also extremely competitive at the card game she taught us. She would cheat. She was a really good cheater. My grandma was the best cheater I've ever come across. She would hide like cards under her butt and she was like this big old, like she was the short, big old Arab woman who has dealt with living life as an arab woman in egypt for all of her life so she had no she had she didn't care anymore like there was like it was just she was gonna have her fun and that's it and she would hide these cards under her butt and she would have a bad <laughs> hand and she would just pull out three cards from under her and just be like and just swap two cards out while we were watching and just hide the cards back under her and we'd be like Tita, Tita, you're cheating and she's like oh yeah rami yeah rami Elby, you really gonna you gonna accuse your old grandmother <laughs> of cheating? 
<laughs> I'm not cheating. We'd be like, we'd be like, well, then get up. She's like, Elby, I'm 76 years old. I'm an old woman. You're really gonna make your old woman? You're gonna make your old Tata get up because you're 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 losing a game, huh? No, you're not. You're a good boy. Okay, <laughs> she would always win. <laughs> We need the Arab grandma character in games. Like, oh my god, the spirit <laughs> of just the teta. Oh my god, it's just they're they're so great. I love I love grandma. <laughs> <sighs> oh teta, she was great. Uh, son, you you have any like anything that you would really want to see? Um, it's a tie. So, a part of me is also on the game thing, but I don't think my the game that I grew up playing with my parents is a supler equivalent to like Arab culture. Um, but we used to play, so in English it's dominoes and then we call, used to call it domino. Uh, but you have like the dominoes and it's a math game and both my parents are mathematicians. So oh. they care a lot. Oh. <laughs> they would pair us off, my younger sister with my dad who is a professor in statistics and me with my mom who is like an incredible like awarded algebra teacher and you were supposed to read each other's minds about like what numbers were available in the like in the pile and <laughs> it was the worst but also the best i really love it um a lot um it's it was it's our bonding experience but another is uh, this thing that we do in algeria and we have uh we do like a shotgun dance during weddings <laughs> that i'm like i know it sounds really scary but i used to grow up uh when we used to visit and we go to weddings and they would take us all through like the village and like men and women in dresses would do like this dance with the shotgun. And it's, uh, I think, an older culture that came uh, pre like the Independence War. And I am super, it sounds so problematic because I'm like, I hate guns. Uh, <laughs> but I am super fond of it because it was like, like fireworks almost, like the equivalent. Right. Uh, and it, it usually meant something wonderful was happening, uh, and lots of celebration because weddings, as you know, go on for <laughs> more than one day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I am fond of that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The, the weddings I've been to were a little, had a little less guns, but <laughs> you're not from the country. <laughs> <laughs> in the middle yeah. of nowhere in the mountains I, I, this is this is very true i was like city boy like absolutely like middle of cairo of all places and like the poor parts of cairo but still cairo right mm. um sounds awesome though it's fun yeah sarah how about you i think i think i'd love to see something very mundane like characters going back home, taking off their shoes, saying hi to everybody. And, you know, uh, usually uh, the women of the family just cooking, like making tagines and, <laughs> you know, having the food ready, seeing the food a bit like, you know, what Ghibli does with the Japanese food. I wish we would have something similar. With. That would be great. Like, because I'm sorry, but our food is like, it's great. <laughs> so I'd amazing. love something like this. Yeah. Just wow. like the amount of preparation that like our mothers had to do. Like if you want to put like make mulukhie, it takes like what like 3 4 days to dry out the the mulukhie and then cook it. Like there's just so much time and like passion that goes into our cooking. That would be like amazing to just see that be shown in media. Yeah, that would be great. And Jeez. I think Ghibli is so so good at this uh, yeah. and I was thinking also 
about something else that is called uh, in Morocco. It's like Fantasia, and it's like a big, basically a big performance of like horse rider, all in traditional clothes, uh, with like guns riding their horses and doing a lot of tricks, and everyone is happy, and it's a big thing where everyone goes, the whole city go to see them. I w- I w- that would be awesome to see that. I'd be like, oh my god, <laughs> oh my god, something so specific! Wow. <laughs> yeah that's cool uh it just makes you wonder how how it's possible that we haven't seen any of those things in in mass media yet because it's all there it's just right there you could just i'm thinking about what i would do i mean one one of my one of my favorite memories was always uh soccer matches we would watch them on tv or we'd go to the stadium but it was always a big deal my dad was very serious about it but the entire family would come like it was gender independent like People just watch the soccer match. Um, I think I, I, I've kept like a little, um, I've kept, kept a little behavioral pattern, which which uh, I noticed the other day, which is that if I if I need to walk in front of a television, I always apologize like very far in advance and say what I'm going to do. Oh, the announcing <laughs> you're doing something. That's so. Right. so like, I, I've never thought of it as something odd, but yeah, you're right. It uh, it's very intrinsic in my. Uh... It might be right. It, it's funny because I, I noticed it when I started seeing like people that weren't Arabs just walk in front of televisions, and I'm like, mm. you know, yeah. we, you know, but to, to me, you know, how, how I, dare you? How dare you? <laughs> you, you? You've made me realize that we have a tendency to announce that we're going to the bathroom, which is right. like yes, weird. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like, hey, I'm going to the bathroom. Like, okay. Thanks. Wait, I, <laughs> I actually asked about this recently because I because I do it too and like everyone I know does it in like the Arab community is and a friend of mine put it best is like oh we're worried our parents are gonna need us for like a chore or something yeah, and so you're yeah, giving yeah. an announcement that like yeah. hey I'm occupied for a second but yeah. I'm gonna be back <laughs> I'm imagining a scenario where you're in the bathroom and then you hear your name and you can't you can't exactly answer or be there within two seconds and you're yeah. like crap I need to go I'm coming I'm coming mom you, you wanna interfere huh? you know oh, it sounds angry oh no yeah. <laughs> But it's the other thing. Like I think, I think a lot of things that are just loud in Arabic sound angry, but they're not really. Like, my dad was going like, "You want to defend?" Is it like it's, uh, boy, where are you? But it's like at the same time, he did. He wasn't angry. He was just like, "Why do I have to say this twice?" Mm. Right? He wasn't necessarily yeah. angry. Maybe a little annoyed, but you know. My parents' anger levels start with like if they call me by my nickname, Maluka or Maluk, they're super chill. Malik, they need my immediate attention. Malik Tafaha, I messed up somewhere. Malik Abdul Wahab Tafaha, they're gonna have my butt for dinner. I I need to ask, what would be the the thing that your parents said that you knew you were gonna get it? (laughs) You know, like there's like a, like my mom used to be like, like the moment, or any Netflix, I'm going to eat you. (laughs) Oh my god. So, so from my end, it would be that my mom would threaten to put uh, a chili uh, in my butt. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, like, like, like she would say, and I'm like, Mom, why? <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Oh, 
so, so do you like food with chilies, Malik? Or I know I, it, it hasn't caused any kind of uh, okay. residual trauma, but no, but I, it's kind of stuck. Or like, I want to clean your mouth with with a pepper. Like, right. Oh my god. My my parents, I don't think they were that descriptive, but like my mom would always be like, like I will break your yeah. head. <laughs> and that just sounded like I used to sometimes call my mom She Hulk because I'm like, who says that? Who says that? <laughs> I, I think for me, it was more that, you know, he would sound, my dad would sound angry because my mom is Dutch. So my mom was always very chill uh mm. but when, when my dad would get angry he would get angry and you would hear it and then at the point where he st- no longer sounded angry that's when you were really in trouble oh no oh, yeah. <laughs> like, he would be like you're me dad and then at some point you go like rami and i'm like oh <laughs> you like slowly descend down the staircase one foot right one, yes. one well, yeah. well, well. like inching I, slowly <laughs> yeah Did, I, I got I got some soft slippers thrown at me throughout my life, and I learned that there's sort of like an optimal distance to be at. So you just kind of run to that distance, but if you get too far, he would miss, and then I would have to return the slipper. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> which would give him a really easy shot. So you would just you get to like the distance where I was sort of like in the door, and then it would hit me, but it wouldn't be that hard. But it was, you know, it was a good way of. The nice thing, the nice thing about it is, then it was done. You know, yeah, like, yeah. okay, we're we're good now. But right. I'm envious of you, Rami, that you've never gotten to experience the mother side of the th- oh, slipper cool. throwing. We'll slap. Right. Oh, right. Oh. Right. Uh, I, I have, I have, I have twelve uncles and aunties. My aunties made sure that okay. I okay. Okay, so you've experienced that because because uh, it's like a new level of homing, like like. <laughs> Auntie rage. Auntie rage is a specific type of rage, but my aunties were also like the sweetest humans on earth. Uh, in, like just very kind. I, I, <laughs> since my since my family grew up uh, poor uh, in Egypt, I once took one of my aunties to a, a, a fancy restaurant after Vlambeer became like a thing, and I had some money. I took her to a restaurant, a rotating restaurant over the Nile. You know, one of those buildings that where the top part yeah. rotates. So you had like a beautiful view of Cairo and we got all this fancy food and <laughs> we got like seven courses and they were all like these beautiful, small, little, um, just gorgeous and like all so full of flavor. And at the end, she goes like, so when is the main course? <laughs> <laughs> like your auntie, your auntie that, that was, that was seven courses. She's like, but they were all very small. <laughs> Are we going to get right. some? Are we gonna get some kebabs, some kofta, some ayah? Uh, hey, I'm hungry. I didn't, I didn't grow to be this old without eating properly. And I'm like, oh my god. So when the waiter came back up, she was like, uh, "Sorry, can I can I get some kofta or falafel or kebab or something?" And the guy just looks at me and is like, "I'm sorry, ma'am, we don't serve that." It was the, honestly one of my favorite food experiences in my life. It's just the the difference in how we grew. Because Arabs, they don't cook small. You don't make small oh, meals. No, I don't have an Like forty five people. If yeah. And and the grandma, the grandma needs to stuff you. Like if you're oh. full, then you're. It's not enough. You need to That's be overfull. Okay. Did you have this problem, any of you? Where so when I first started dating people, and I ended up in the homes of their parents, they would bring food, 
right? And I, I guess I was always sort of taught to leave a bit of food on my plate because if I don't, I will get a full new plate immediately. Right, as soon as your plate is empty in an Arab in, a, in, a, in an Arab culture, as far as I know, you just immediately get like, "Get on me here, more food, yeah, more food." You have yeah. to, you have to grow, you have to grow. So, so I learned this sort of like middle bit where you leave like just enough food that it's clear that you ate and that you're full. And then every time I would go to a, to to a family in uh, in the Netherlands to eat, they'd just be like, "Did he not like the food?" <laughs> like, no, I'm just full. I just don't want more. Like that's why. I, did. did what is what is your food like? Because I, I, as we said, every culture is different. Is is your like food culture kind of similar? If your plate is empty, you get more. Like, do, oh, yeah. do, are you supposed <laughs> to finish your plate, or are you supposed to leave some food? I feel like if I don't finish my plate, it would upset my mom. So I finish my plate, <laughs> and I did the same everywhere I would go. You would go to your auntie, and you finish your plate, and it's always more. And you're like, I'm going to have to do it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going yeah. for this. Let's go. <laughs> my end as well. Get... Like, sorry, go ahead, son. No, it's just I'm the exact same as Sarah. But you also have to get the different food portions. Like, did you have salad? Like, yeah. you might have missed you eating. Yeah. Or did you have some of the merguez? And I'm like, yeah, I had some. So I can relate to that because if my aunties and my grandma don't see me eating the food, then I never ate the food. Like, even though like the food is gone, I need to then pour some more to eat it in front of them to prove to them that I ate it. Because otherwise, <laughs> you know, like the gin ate it. And I'm like, Tita, but I ate, I'm full. But from my end, from my end, we had to eat the full plate because like, otherwise I'd get the, like the spiel of like, ah, kids in Africa are starving and you're oh, ungrateful. Yeah. Little, you, you I mean, I, that was easy for me because I'd be like, dad, we are in Africa. <laughs> Egypt is Africa. What are you talking about? <laughs> And then I would have to run for the door to avoid the ships. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that, my parents gave me that excuse, like talking about like children in Africa. Whenever I asked, like I wanted to go to a concert here in Toronto and they'd be like, no. And I'm like, why? It's like, well, there are children in Africa who barely get any food. So why would you be able to go to a concert? You know, they don't, they can't go to a concert. I'm like, yeah, but. I, what? <laughs> what if this is related to anything? But anything I wanted, they would always use that same excuse. <laughs> to me, it, this to me, the the the, the Africa uh, children in Africa would be step number one, and then step number two, if I'm super insistent, is inshallah. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> like, you're not convinced by by children in Africa? Okay, we'll just lie to you. We'll just say inshallah, God willing, we'll, we'll go, we'll get this. But it's just, it will never happen. Yeah. So. Oh, my God. I heard that so many times when I was like, can we go to Disneyland? <laughs> now, now, now I just really want, I want a Mass Effect style dialogue wheel where the right is yes, oh my the left is no, and just at the top is inshallah. <laughs> like I a can, whole game just going, God will, you know, inshallah. Yeah, we'll see what I happens. Can, I can almost see like the Telltale style, like Malik would remember that. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing we do and then we bring it up and they'll be like yeah you said inshallah and then they'll be like yeah inshallah and then they'll just keep saying it until you forget <laughs> it's genuinely the most versatile word on earth it means yeah. yes no maybe absolutely not and depending on whether i like you <laughs> it's in god's hands <laughs> uh, uh, <what> a... <laughs> <sighs> yeah 
Is there anything else, Sarah, that we wanted to talk about? Was there another question? I feel like there was one more question. Yeah, well, I think, uh, I mean, like you said that you wanted to maybe talk about how, like about the last question, since you didn't have to, to I, answer I mean, it. Uh, I, I covered it a bit in terms of like pleading publishers, AAA publishers to, to utilize the, the resources that they have. I've seen a lot of uh, growing employee resource groups. Uh, I do feel like uh, the the maybe like the South African, uh, Middle Eastern Muslim uh, resource groups need some more attention. Uh, but I, de- I would definitely just want to say to publishers like, hey, or if you're if anyone that's listening is part of a AAA publisher, please push your publisher to, to, to tap into the marginalized groups that they have, the diversity groups that they have within them to help in the creation of the games that they're working on and pitching ideas of added diversity of representation. It's really cool. This is going to be the most interesting round of Jeopardy I've ever played. Sarah, what is the question? Because oh. Malik answered it. And he the, answered the, it very the, well. The last Before question. Our listeners. Um, the, the last question um, was well, what do you folks think uh, could be like the best, most impactful ways uh, the industry could improve, you know, in terms of inclusivity? That was the last question. Right. I mean, for anybody who got that right, email your, your great answer to info at thehabibis.com and we'll give you a shout out next episode. Son, go ahead. Well, you know my answer. Uh, cold, hard cash. But I, I, I do want to emphasize why I do think money, not, not money is the root of all evil or anything, but I do think money will solve a lot of my problems. <laughs> um, but if you if you funnel more money into devs who are doing uh, what we want, basically building uh, our culture and our even our religion or our ethnicities into the games that we're making, and there is money there to put it, then you can help bring these people to the forefront and give them that recognition that will then trigger back to making them more prominent in that space, which will then like backtracking help devs who are trying to get in. Um, I know, like, Rami, you mentioned that um, you're a really big influence in games and showing, like, Arabs can be in games. And I know that your presence and your public presence helped do that. And so I think by giving opportunities to more um, like Arabs, more Swana, more uh, Meta to, like, be prominent in games, whether it is in the AAA or in the indie space, promoting Arabs in uh, AAA spaces, Uh, promoting games in indie spaces and that does require looks at the camera money (laughs) money (laughs) to be put into it Um, you you can't do these initiatives with uh, no budget right it doesn't exist and so it has to i really think it really has to start with the first like let's put this amount of money and keep growing that pot until we're happy um because i keep running into uh diversity or inclusion funds or other sorts of funds that have the smallest pool um, and when you finally get games made in that way, who are you really promoting it to? And right. So... I, I I was wondering. So now, clearly, you've thought about this a lot. I think I've thought about it. Like, what if if you were if you could dream up a fund, right? Any amount of money, any go. Like, what what would what would it look like? Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> I can't. If I could dream up a fund, um, so. I actually, what I if I could do a fund, what I would do is I'd, I'd team up with publishers from the get-go. I feel like having someone who is um, from these cultural backgrounds actually doling out that money 
is a lot stronger than having to go to different individual groups. So like I would reach out to big like AAA publishers. I'd reach out to AAA studios that have uh, the resources and pile that money together to actually have a sustainable amount. And right. then from there, I would try, oh, knock on wood, right? Um, inshallah. <laughs> Distribute that um, to studios. And like my, honestly, this is, maybe it sounds radical right now, but I want at least a mil per studio if I can do it. Um, right. Like I feel like, Half a mil to a mil is a mid-tier game that can be developed by a 10-person team. And that is not not enough. God, I always think you can go for more, right? Right. Um, but I feel like that is a great getting off the ground point. Um, of course, like other, I would like to provide other resources with that. So like everyone would get an advisor who has been in that space to help at least manage that, uh, help mm-hmm. them launch, because I know that's super, super important. Um, but I, I would aim for funds that give half a mil to a mil. Well. Yeah, that I mean that sounds great. Half a mil, especially if you you know put it in the Middle East or in the Arab countries, that's mm-hmm. like the equivalent of fourteen million, I think, in Egypt at the moment. So that's a lot of money. Uh, but yeah, that would really help. No, okay, I, I agree with that. Um, Noha, from you, I would say to help get um, more Arabs and more diverse people into the industry, um, mm-hmm. like through some sort of initiatives. Cause I noticed that right now I'm noticing a lot more Arabs are interested in game dev because they are starting to see us in, in, um, in the industry, making them believe, Oh, I can do that too. So now yeah. I feel like we kind of need to get them in now. Now they, now they're showing mm-hmm. interest. Now we need to help them get in, whether it's through some sort of, um, initiatives, um, workshops, even, providing them the tools and resources for them to start making their own games. Um, I think we kind of need something like that. And there's a lot of initiatives like that for like, you know, for young girls, uh, for black gamers, uh, for the Latinx uh, community. I feel like we kind of need that for the Middle Eastern community now too. Mm -hmm. Let's make it happen. Oh, I'm totally agreeing with nuance on like money and, you know, passing on, like helping people learn about the industry, trying to get them in. That that would be like my dream <laughs> to, to be able to do that for other people. Because I know, um, but I think I told you, Rami, that um, I remember seeing you when I was studying and I was like, oh my God, it's possible. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what's happening? And um, as you said, Nua, we're, we're starting to see ourselves way more uh, even in games, we we start to notice ourselves, even though sometimes it's not done the proper way. And I wish there was a way to help out newcomers, people from you know background where sometimes you know, well at least my harem parents, you know, they they would have loved if I was a lawyer or a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so just help people who want to get into the industry and don't know how to make it yet. That, that would be super interesting and help out people who are already there but struggling to get found. And yeah. also, oh, please, that's my dream, like to see like that in a few years in higher up position, I can see like also Arab in companies. That would be like crazy to me. I would be like, wow, <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I think, I mean, you, you all leave very little very little to add. I think it, it is a combination of all these things, representation, funding, um, uh, you know, having role models. Um, 
I think I think for me, like one of the big one of the big things I really want to figure out is how can we as a people, as a as a culture, as a region, also make sure that we're we're trying to find ways to promote game development in the region, right? Because I think actually Sarah kind of touches on something really interesting is that game development is not really considered a career. It's not really considered like a viable path, which gives a lot of a lot of kids growing up right now sort of like an extra obstacle to becoming a game developer, uh, which is convincing their parents that it's a real job. And it took me yeah. eight years of game development and several Apple Design Awards and a, a large amount of money on a bank account and uh, the GDC Ambassador Award before my dad went, oh, okay, I can brag about this <laughs> to my friends. <laughs> then it's good. Um, so so for me, I think also show, not just creating role models for the, the kids, teenagers, young adults, adults that want to become game developers, also showing that um, there is success to be had in game development, that there is, uh, you know, value in game development, that it is a real job. Uh, I think that that's really important, especially now with the economy in, uh, across the region not being very strong. I think a lot of parents are just defaulting to get a good job, mm-hmm. right? So I think part of our part of the puzzle is also showing that game development can be a good job. And maybe there's some industry-wide work to do to ensure that it actually is a good job uh, for, for everybody involved, because it, it isn't always. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I've, if if the industry can just rapidly like implement all the five things we just said, that would be great. <laughs> Much appreciated. Inshallah khair. Inshallah. Um, just watch the industry to come back to us go like, Inshallah. <laughs> we've, we've listened to the podcast and we've learned a lot. So uh, for all the questions you've asked, the answer is Inshallah. It's like, no, that's not the thing. We, that was not what we hoped you would. Mm. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, uh, this we I I will say the one thing that is absolutely terrifying to me is like sort of like the the sort of structural production level of AAA companies learning the phrase inshallah. That's a nightmare. <laughs> Can we get additional budget for this inshallah? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, thank you so much, all of you, for being here. Um, this was a phenomenal phenomenal episode i had a lot of i had a lot of fun it was really great to hear yeah. all of your perspectives thank you Ravi, um, for the opportunity and uh for like to noha son and sarah for joining it was really cool yeah thank you so much uh i, I also want to thank everyone who's been following us at games for change and thank you rami for you know allowing us to discuss a bit more because uh, it felt a bit short last time. Uh, but I was so happy uh, to see so many positive feedback. And uh, yeah, super happy yep. to be here with you and, and drinking thanks some tea. F- thanks for putting it together in the first place. Like, uh, and you know, the invitation alone was like the most exciting thing for that panel for me. I'm like, oh my God, we're going to talk about this with such a cool group of people. Uh, was was truly awesome. Um so for everybody listening, uh, thanks so much for listening. This was another episode of The Habibis. Uh, next week, we have a special episode because it is the 30th episode of The Habibis. And we thought, why not do an episode live? So this is going to be terrifying. But the uh, 30th episode of The Habibis will be a live episode next week. Uh, normal time, Ooh. same place as always. Uh, and obviously, it will be recorded. It will be on your favorite podcasting up later. 
if you want to talk about this episode, if you want to talk about uh, your ideas to improve the games industry or your games or the things you would want to get funded or how you would want to get them funded, uh, please reach out to us on our Discord. We are discord.thehabibis.com or email us at info at thehabibis. Noha's son, Sarah Malik, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, it was fun. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Shukran Inshallah, we'll speak again. Shukran yeah, <laughs> To everybody listening, salam. 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 Salam.